Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Amen. Well, good morning, Hills Church. How is everybody doing today? Man, we couldn't be doing better. I mean, worship to celebrating our moms to child dedications. It's been an incredible, incredible morning. I am so excited to be here, to be able to share the word of God with you this morning. And I truly believe, though this is a Mother's Day sermon, I believe that it will touch each and every single one of us in the room today because you're not here by accident. God has a special plan for you, a special purpose for you, and I believe he wants to say a special message to you this morning. So I just want you to lean in today. Feel free to interact with me. Give me an amen, clap, whatever you want to do. It's a little nerve-wracking to be up here and having to follow after this guy over here. So, um, but no, I couldn't be more excited. And as I was preparing for today's message, I was trying to think of all of the things that I've learned in my journey of motherhood so far. And I've only been a mom for about 12 years, so many of you have surpassed me on this journey. But all the things that I've learned along this journey, and one of those specific things that has come to mind is I, that I want to talk about today, is simply this. In a culture of individualism and perfectionism, you need people more than you know. In a culture of individualism and perfectionism, moms, we know what it's like to feel the pressure to be perfect. You need people more than you know. Or simply put, don't try this alone. Don't go at it alone. There's no reason to. You've got the people of God around you. Don't go alone. Because let's be real, motherhood, while it's a privilege and it's an honor and it's a gift, amen, it is hard and it is messy, and there are broken moments along the way. There are hard days, long nights, and dark seasons. But godly community is one of the greatest gifts God gives us to help remind us that he is not only with us, but he is for us. I like to think of it like this. Community creates belonging. Belonging creates identity, and identity creates purpose. Community creates belonging, belonging, identity, and identity purpose. Without community, we forget that we are a part of the body of Christ. Without community, we are tempted to live lives that are incongruent with our identity as children of God. And without community, we stifle the power of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Now, I know the word community is a loaded word. We've all had our different experiences around community or relationships, whether that's good or that's bad, whether it's been a personal situation or a situation that's happened in the church. But today I want to reframe our way of thinking and show you how though it's messy and oftentimes broken, that it is worth fighting for. And it's absolutely necessary to you flourishing as a human being and a believer in Christ. So today, I want to talk about three aspects of community. Number one, that you were created for community. Number two, that we find our purpose in community. And number three, there is healing power in community. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Number one, you were created for community. How do I know this? How can I say this? 
Well, we don't have to look very far. We just need to look at the word of God. And we see in Genesis chapter two that God created Adam. And then in chapter two, verse 18, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve as a helper for him. And so you see God create the first family unit, the first community on earth. And then a few chapters and generations later in Genesis 12 and 15, God calls a man named Abraham to leave his family and his father's house. And you see in Genesis 12, it says, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And this was God's design. He started with the family unit, then he went to Abraham, he created the nation of God, the people of God, Israel. And then thousands of years later, Jesus comes on the scene. God incarnate on earth, lives the perfect life, dies the death that we deserved so that we could have right relationship with the Father. And then what does he do? He sends us the helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knits us together into what is called the body of Christ, the church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we see Paul now describe this body of Christ and uses the analogy as our own physical bodies. And he says things like, if the whole body was made up of a hand, it wouldn't function very well. If the whole body is all eyes and ears, it wouldn't work right. And I love how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. I love me the message. Version, it's, <laughs> you see it in chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, you see him say, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. And he goes on to, chapter, to verse 14. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If the foot said, I'm not elegant like the hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to the body, would that make it so? If the ear said, I'm not beautiful like the eye, transparent and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eyes, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. And if we are the body of Christ, friends, he has put us exactly where he wants us. It's no accident in life that you are where you are today. God knows your beginning from your end and he has placed you on purpose exactly where you are. And then he builds all the way to this final point in verse 27 where he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So we can see from Old Testament to New Testament that God started with Adam and Eve, he created the first family. Then he moved to Abraham and he created the people of God, the nation of God called Israel. And in the New Testament, he's created a new community called the church. And this community should be so close together, it should function like a body. So God is not messing around. We were created for community from the very beginning. 
In other words, Christianity was never designed to be an individualistic religion. Yes, it's personal, but no, it's not private. Yes, it's personal to you, but no, it's not private to the world. We were created to be interconnected and we actually need each other to thrive and survive. And just like the finger, we too cannot exist without being connected to the body. You will never live the abundant life that God has created for you unless you are connected in community, specifically connected to the body of Christ, specifically connected to the church. So number one, we were created for community. Now I want to talk about the purpose of community. Number two, the purpose of community. I want to start by sharing a story with you guys. I had the opportunity to go on this trip last year with a group of girls, about 13 other women, and we went to the crazy state of Montana. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I know. I've never been to Montana in my life. I never had it on my bucket list, but I got an invitation to go and to join these girls. And it was supposed to be this amazing weekend of just getting to you know, connect with other women and to be pampered a little bit and eat some good food. But there were also some activities that we, were, um, we had the opportunity to do throughout the week. And one of the activities that they suggested we try was this little thing called fly fishing. I know. If you know me, you know I'm not an outdoorsy girl. Like, not at all. Like, I will go on a day hike with my husband up in Tahoe because I love him, and we are one, and we are connected, and I want to pursue that with him. But he likes a backcountry hike for days on end, and like, that is a no-go for me. No way. There are no restrooms out in the, out in the wilderness. So, I like warm hotel rooms, warm beaches, and sunny skies. It was 30 degrees in Montana, and they wanted us to go fly fishing in it. But it was one of those like once-in-a-lifetime opportunities that like, I knew my husband would kill me if I came home and didn't at least attempt it or try it. Some of the other girls felt the same way, so we were like, okay, sign us up, we will go. I mean, how hard can it be? It's fly fishing, it's fishing. I, you know, had fished off a dock my entire life with my mom and dad at their lake house. Like, it can't be that hard. So we go down to the river, and we see these massive aluminum drift boats waiting for us. And these things are not stable, you guys. Like, they could flip at any moment. We get in there, and we're, like, shaking as we get, you know, our first step in, and I'm looking at the guys like, do you have us? Because I'm not going in that water. It is 30 degrees outside. And they're like, no, 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 you're going to be fine. You're going to love it. This is going to be the greatest thing you've ever done. Like, just hang with us. So we get into the boat, and, you know, these boats have no motors on them. I've never been in a boat without a motor. Like, I like ski boats and wake surfing, you know, like those kinds of boats, like Lake Folsom. And so I get into the boat, and they have what you call a rower with oars. I was like, are we in the Middle Ages? Like, no. But praise the Lord, we didn't have to row the boat. So we get going, and there's another guy on the boat who is the spotter. And praise God for the spotter, because we got going, I was shivering, and I was looking around, and all I could see was rapids and rocks. Like, I didn't see a single fish jumping out like, catch me, catch me, you know? So we get going, and there's this current, obviously, in the river, and these boats just drift along with the current. And you kind of go slowly at first, and then it speeds up, and 
then all of a sudden the spotter spots a fish or school of fish, right? That's what you call it. And um, he's like, rower, like go there. And so he starts rowing the boat as fast as he can. And we get over there and they're like, okay, girls, cast your lines. And, and you know, they taught us how to do this on land, but you get in the water. It's a totally different story. So I go back and I'm like trying to get my line to go forward, but I realize I've like hooked my own waders, these ugly looking things that we're wearing. I can't even get my line in the water, friends. Like it was pathetic. I was on the water for eight hours that day. <laughs> Nobody told me that at the beginning. Like it was gonna take an all day, it was an all day thing. And I didn't catch one single fish <laughs> to make my, I didn't even have like that cute picture that girls do, you know, when they catch the fish and they sit there and they smile. Like I had nothing to show my husband to say like, I mean, I had one picture of me sitting there with the rod. And that was it. I mean, no evidence. So why am I telling you this story? Well, I want to connect it to Hebrews chapter 3. And stick with me for a moment. But take a look at the sign screens. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. In the message version, it says this. So watch your step, friends. Make sure there's no evil unbelief lying around that will trip you up and throw you off course. Diverting you from the living God. For as long as God's still calling it today, keep each other on your toes so sin doesn't slow down your reflexes. If we can only keep our grip on the sure thing we started out with, we're in this with Christ for the long haul. And I believe this is connected to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, because you can't exhort and encourage and keep each other on your toes if you're not meeting together in community. So take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, what it says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more and all the more as you see the day drawing nears. Friends, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a world filled with cultural currents of unbelief. Cultural currents of unbelief. The cultural currents that tell us you don't need God, you can do it on your own. Things like there's no such thing as absolute truth. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and it's just all relative. Or maybe you've heard you can be spiritual without being connected to the body of believers. Just have your own quiet time, do your thing in your bedroom, keep it all to yourself, be very private about it. You don't need other people. That's a cultural current of unbelief. Also, this idea of karma. If you do enough good things, you'll be fine. If you do enough bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. And people live in fear and guilt and performance their entire lives, never knowing where they stand. That is not the message of the gospel. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, you need community not only to exhort you and encourage you, but to guard you against unbelief, to show you where the cultural currents are. The spotter being able to spot the current, the rower being able to row in the right direction. So don't stop meeting together and t um, gathering together and talking about the things that you're walking through, friends. The currents that are pulling your soul away from Jesus not towards him. The world is never gonna lead you to Christ. No, no, no. But the body of believers will. Jesus Christ himself will. The Spirit of God will. 
The purpose of community is to avoid the drift. The purpose of community is to avoid the drift. You see, I realized on the drift boat that we had no shot of accomplishing our mission if we didn't work together. I mean, we didn't accomplish our mission because I didn't catch any fish, but you know what I'm saying. Like, if I had a chance, the rower doing his job, the spotter doing his job, and me, if I could have done my job, we would have caught the fish. But we are called to be fishers of men. We are called to go out and make disciples. We are called to come and see and then go and tell. So when they, we say the purpose of gospel community is to avoid the drift, what we're saying is just like Hebrews 3.12 says, community keeps us from drifting away from the central message of the gospel, which is this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus did it all. He paid every price. He paid every debt that we couldn't pay. On the cross, rising again from the dead, he gave us the freedom we could not earn on our own. That's the central message of the gospel. And if we stray from that, friends, we've lost it. We've lost it. That's our hope. That's what we hold on to. So number one, you were created for community. You were designed to be a part of the body of Christ. Moms, we cannot do it alone. Join a small group. Join our mom's group. Call up your girlfriends. Get yourself surrounded by some other mothers going through it with you. Mothers who know Jesus and love Jesus. And number two, the purpose of community is to help us avoid the drift. Community encourages you, protects you, and keeps you from drifting away from the hope of the gospel and your first love, who is Jesus. Number three is the healing power of community. I want us to take a look at Mark chapter 2. We find this incredible story of Jesus healing a paralytic man. And I love this story so much because we see a picture of how we find healing in community. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 and verse 11. It'll be up on the side screens as well. And when he returned to Capernaum, that's Jesus, after some days it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 11 says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. Friends, we're all going to have seasons in our lives where we're just like the paralytic where we need our friends to carry us to the feet of Jesus, to bring us to Jesus because we don't have enough strength to do it on our own. This is also such a picture of the healing power of community because Mark says in um, two, um, chapter two, verse five, it says when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends and the faith of the paralytic, paralytic it moved him to healing. 
So it wasn't just one person's faith, it was the faith of his friends. His friends had faith enough to take him to where Jesus was. They were like, I've heard of this God man Jesus, I've heard of this Messiah, I heard he can heal, he can do things that nobody else can do, I'm gonna take you to him because I see your need. What good friends he had. Do we have friends like that? Do we have friends who see us in our deepest, darkest moments and say, hey, I know the one who has the answer and his name is Jesus, let me take you to him. It's incredible. He had this type of friends, and I think it's also amazing because we see in the story that Jesus didn't just heal the man's physical ailment. He healed his greatest need, his spiritual need. He needed the forgiveness of his sins first, and it was crazy because the Pharisees like went up in arms, they're like, who is this man that says he can forgive sins? And Jesus is like, only the Son of God can, and God of can no, son of God can, and I am him. This was a moment that Jesus made a statement. He said, I am the one you've been looking for, I'm the one you've been waiting for, and I can do what nobody else can do. I can actually bring you back to the Father. I can give you right relationship with him. But I can, I can do that, and I can also heal your physical body. It's incredible, friends. I wanna invite the keys to come out. I'm gonna end with this. This story kind of reminds me of a season in my own life as I was reading it. And it was actually not that long ago where I needed others to believe things for me that I could no longer believe for myself. I needed, it was a season in my life where like the paralytic, I felt paralyzed in many ways. You see, for the past year and a half, I've been struggling with something that a lot of people struggle with more than people would like to admit that they struggle with. But it's called crippling anxiety. Public and social anxiety. And friends, when I say this, I am saying I am not an introvert. Like, I am the most extroverted person. Ask my husband, I invite people over to our house all day long. I wanna make every phone call to all my friends. Like, this is not who I am. But about a year and a, a, year and a half ago, things changed for me. I don't know if it was a word spoken over me or if it was an assignment from the enemy, but all of a sudden when I walked into rooms like this or I walked into spaces where I wasn't completely comfortable, that I would typically be comfortable in, I would start shaking. I would start sweating. I would start getting nervous. I didn't know what to say or what to do. I wouldn't be able to breathe correctly. There have been moments, I don't know if you've noticed this the last year and a half, that I have not gotten on this stage without my husband by my side. Because I didn't know what would happen to me in that moment. But I know one thing, God has called me to be a minister of the gospel. God has called me to preach the good news. And what the enemy meant for evil, I was sure God was going to mean for my good, but I couldn't see it. And I didn't believe it. And for months on end, I struggled silently. I didn't tell a single person. I was like, Lindsay, just get through it. Like, this must be a one-off thing. Like, there's no way you can't get up in front of people and talk. Like, there's no way. Like, this is not you. This isn't who you were created to be. But after months and months and months of this happening, I finally felt like the Holy Spirit said, Lindsay, you have been in the Word of God. You have been leaning on the spirit of God, but you have not surrounded yourself with the people of God. And he said, you need the people of God to move in and contend for you. And so I called a couple girlfriends 
who know me very well. And I confessed it all, I admitted it all. I said, hey, I'm not an anxious person, but I've been identifying as one. I'm not a fearful person, but I've been proclaiming that I am. This is not who I am, but I've been saying that I'm fearful. I've been saying that I'm anxious. I've been saying that I'm scared and I want it to be different. I want to be able to get up here and be able to share the love of Jesus with others without fear or intimidation. And so my girlfriends got on their knees and they set alarms on their clocks and they called me every single morning and they prayed for me and they contended with me in the spirit. And they said, Lindsay, this is not gonna be the end of your story. I'm gonna write for you a different story. I'm gonna believe for you a different story. And they carried me to the feet of Jesus every single day. What I couldn't believe for myself, they believed for me. And one of those afternoons, my girlfriend sent me a story alongside a picture and I wanna share it with you in just a second. And I know this is gonna be a little bit of a hard left turn when you see the picture, but stick with me. It'll all make sense at the end. Take a look at the side screen to this picture as I share this story with you. I know we're gonna talk about elephants for a second, ladies. Isn't that amazing? The story goes like this. It says, see in the wild when a mama elephant is giving birth, all the other female elephants in the herd back around her in formation. And that's what you see in this picture here. They close ranks so that the delivery mama or injured elephant cannot even be seen in the middle. They stomp and kick up the dirt and soil to let predators know, do not mess with our girl. You mess with her, you mess with us. They surround the mama and incoming baby in protection, sending a clear signal to predators that if they want to attack their friend while she is in the most vulnerable position of her life, then they'll have to get through 40 tons of female aggression first. Amen. Amen. It gets better, friends. When the baby elephant is delivered, the sister elephants do two things. They kick up sand or dirt over the newborn to protect its fragile skin from the sun, and then they all start trumpeting a female celebration of new life, of sisterhood, of something beautiful being born in a harsh, wild world, despite enemies and attackers and predators at odds. And scientists tell us that they normally take this formation in only two cases, under the attack of predators like lions or during the birth of a new elephant. This is what we do, girls. This is what we do when our sisters are vulnerable, when they are giving birth to new life, to new ideas, to new ministries, to new spaces, when they're under attack, when they need their people to surround them so they can create, deliver, heal, recover, we get in formation. We close ranks and literally have each other's backs. You want to mess with our sister, come through us first. Good luck. And when the delivery comes, when new life makes its entrance, when healing finally begins, when the night is past and our sister is ready to rise back up, we sound our trumpets because we saw it through together. We celebrate, we cheer, we raise our glasses and we give thanks to Almighty God. If you're closing ranks around a vulnerable sister right now, or if your girls have you surrounded while you're tender, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. And friends, I'm standing here today knowing that for the last year and a half, I have been in the middle. But I am declaring today that I am stepping out of the middle because that is not my identity in Christ. It is not my identity in Christ. 
and what has kept me silent, the enemy who's tried to keep me silent for a year and a half is losing his hold on me. And I know this journey is, is a journey. I know I'm still in process, but I'm here to say to you, if you feel like the paralytic on the mat, or you feel like I felt, you feel hopeless, you maybe felt despair, maybe feel like it's never gonna get better. Things aren't ever gonna improve. The night is never gonna turn today. I'm here to say to you, do not lose heart. God is with you and he is for you, friends. He is the God who parted the Red Sea. He is the God who brought down the walls of Jericho. He is the God that heals the lepers, the blind, the paralytic. He raised Lazarus from the dead and he overcame death himself and he is coming back for you. He is coming back for you. He is faithful to finish what he started and he will complete the good work he began in you. All glory to God. All glory to Jesus. This is not a sympathy moment. This is a testimony moment. And friends, we need to share our testimonies more. We need to get real about where we're actually at more often. I know it's hard. I know it's scary. But do you know how it encourages one another? Do you know how it exhorts one another? Do you know how it keeps one another? Do you know how it keeps one another from doubting God? It keeps you it keeps you the main thing, the main thing. So where are you today, friends? Where are you today? Maybe you need community to surround you. Maybe you're in the middle. You need to make that phone call. You're in a vulnerable season and you need to find your people who will continue to point you to Jesus, to his power, to his presence in your life, who will believe for you healing. Maybe you need to be community for somebody else. Maybe you have a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a spouse, a child, and they can't believe for themselves anymore. Maybe they don't even know the Jesus I'm talking about today, the one that overcomes death and everything that comes against us. You need to make that phone call today. You need to make that text message today. You need to write that email today. You need to be community for them. You need to surround them and remind them that Jesus loves them and he's for them. Maybe you need to introduce them to Jesus today. Share the gospel with them. Share your testimony with them. Or maybe you need to celebrate somebody. Maybe you need to celebrate somebody who has given birth to a new dream or has experienced the healing power of Jesus in their own lives. You need to sound your trumpet, friends. And you need to praise God for them. Wherever you find yourself today, I want to remind you that this was God's intention from the very beginning. That he created you for community. He has a purpose for your life within community. And he wants to use the people around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, to heal you and help you through the seasons where you might have lost hope and faith. Will you take that next step and surround yourselves with friends who know Jesus and love Jesus and can help you weather the storms of life? Will you do it today? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are always in our corner. 
We thank you that you were the first community for all of us, that if we don't have relationship with you, then God, we don't have relationships at all. God, we only know how to love because you've loved us first. We can't love others without knowing your love. And so God, I pray right now for that woman, that man, that child, that youth that does not know your love to know you in a personal way today. I pray they would give their lives away. They would stop believing the cultural currents of unbelief and they would put their faith in the gospel today. I pray you would give them courage to reach out to a friend today and say, hey, I'm struggling, I'm going through it. Would you come alongside me? Would you pray for me? Would you walk with me? And I pray for every single one of us under the sound of my voice that we would be that type of community for somebody else. That God, we would not keep it private, but we would go public with our faith. We would go public with our love for you. And we would go public with the fact that you can do what no one else can do. And we're gonna believe that for our friends and our family. And we're gonna believe that for Eldorado Hills today. We pray in your holy and most precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.